Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Last several weeks, we've been recounting and re-examining the number of ways that Christ's love is displayed for us. Now, I thought it was fitting today, uh, being that today is Palm Sunday, the day that we commemorate the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city, and we know that this week leads finally to Good Friday, uh, which is the day in which Jesus offered his life for us on Calvary. And as we continue our series today regarding Jesus' love for us, I want to talk to you about the fact that Jesus loves us so much that he died for us. Jesus loves us so much that he died for us. I want you just to think about the weight of that statement for just a few seconds this morning before we go forward. How many of you know people that are willing to die for you. It's a pretty short list, I'm sure. The word says, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. We're going we're gonna to discover some things or be reminded of some things here this morning that's going to emphasize and underscore how great the love of Jesus is for us in that when he died for us, we weren't even friends. He gave his life for us. I want to talk to you about two things this morning, and that is simply this, when Jesus died for us and why Jesus died for us. In John chapter 16, begin, uh, John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, we read these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I want to tell you that when Jesus died for us, we were still sinners. We were still sinners. You know, sometimes we get the notion in our mind that, you know, one day we're going to serve the Lord, we're going we're to come to church, we're going to get things together, but we've got to wait just a little while longer until we can get ourselves together a little bit more. Well, I want to tell you, when Jesus died on Calvary, he had no such reservation. He wasn't waiting for the sinful mass of humanity to get themselves together before he could offer himself an atoning sacrifice for their sins. But in the depth of their sin, in the depth of their degradation, Jesus spread his arms wide and died for us on an old rugged cross. Sometimes, you know, we can hear things so much that we can grow cold to their significance. We've seen John 3.16 pasted under the eyes of athletes and on the back of every bumper all across this land to the point we've all recited it. Perhaps if you have any scripture committed to memory, that may be one of the very first things that you ever committed to memory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What do you hear when you read that? For God so loved the world. We've been told that Jesus died for us, and we know that Jesus died 2,000 years before any of us were born. 
Well, okay, 1,900 years before some of us were born. And we hear that term, the world. And we understand that to mean lost humanity. And I want to ask you today, does it ever dawn on us that we are included in that phrase, the world? The world that represents the lost and the desperate of humanity. We are in that phrase. We are included in that when it says, for God so loved the world. You know, sometimes our thoughts begin to transition as we become believers and and our thoughts about the world change. Let me just tell you, if you're in this room today or you're watching online and you're not serving the Lord, I want to tell you that God does not hate you. He may not be pleased with the choices that you're making right now, but he doesn't hate you. As a matter of fact, it's far from it. You may be breaking his heart and you may question if there's any way that God could ever love you. Let me assure you that he does. In fact, he spoke through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 and he says, The Lord has appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter this morning if you're a seasoned church member. It doesn't matter this morning if you get up and read your scriptures every day or if you pray every hour on the hour or if you don't. You may be the biggest wretch in town. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Sometimes I think we forget that. It doesn't matter how good we've been. Jesus loves us. It doesn't matter how bad we've been. Jesus loves us. And as I said earlier, sometimes once we get saved and we get in the church, our thoughts about the world begins to change. And we begin to think of the world as our enemy, that it's us against them. It's those who are on the inside versus those who are on the outside. And every time someone questions the validity of our belief, that automatically makes them an enemy. Anytime that someone does not believe or view things the same way that we do, they're automatically viewed as our enemy. But I want to tell you something. We need not forget that the Scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. It's not the sinful people in the world that are our enemy. See, as believers, we need to be careful to differentiate between the world and worldliness. God doesn't want us to succumb to the spirit of worldliness that, as Ephesians 2 says, is ruled by the prince of the power of the air. In other words, worldliness is a system that is influenced by Satan himself, and therefore it's contrary to the will of God. And God is displeased with worldliness. But God so loved the world, the human population, the human race, Red, yellow, black, and white, American, Asian, African, it doesn't matter. God loved everyone the same, and there's so much love that he has for lost humanity that he sent his son to die for it. Jesus loves you today if you're a Democrat or a Republican. Jesus loves you if you're a Muslim, a Jew, a Hindu, a Christian, or even an atheist. That's why we give to support missions in this community across the nation and around the world. That's why we need to be sharing the gospel in the marketplace and in our communities because Jesus 
loves you so much. There's no stipulation. There's no qualification. If you're breathing air, Jesus loves you. No matter how good, no matter how bad. For God so loves us. And his love is not just for those who warm the church seats on Sunday. His love is for the addict. His love is for the prostitute. His love is for the immoral and the undone. Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to die for us. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, Paul writes to the Roman church and says this, You see, at the right time when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I hope by the time you leave here today that if you don't get anything else out of this service, you have the joy of his salvation restored unto you. That, that you can remember and intimately account, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Just because there appears to have been forces at work that would look, cause things to look otherwise natural, that doesn't mean that it was any less the plan of God for the redemption of fallen man that Jesus died. You see, the crucifixion was not the fruition of the plan of the Romans. The crucifixion was the fulfillment of God's plan for the redemption of the lost. Jesus says in John 10, no one takes my life from me. Can I tell you on Good Friday, Jesus wasn't killed? He was wounded. He was bruised. He was crucified and he did die, but he was not killed. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. And this command I received from my Father. I want to be very clear in saying this to you today is that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that when you were in need of the righteousness of God to be accounted to your life and there was no way for you to earn it on your own, your very best fell short. The very best that you could give was not enough. In fact, it was like filthy rags, Isaiah says before the Lord. Jesus gave his life for you. He laid it down for you, for you. When Jesus died, you see, we were and still are unable to save ourselves. Understand that it's not simply that Jesus died a substitutionary death on the cross for our sins. It's not simply that he took our place. You see, we could have died a million deaths and never earned ourselves the way into heaven or never satisfied the justice of God. There's a theological term called the substitutionary death of Christ. And Jesus' death was only substitutionary in that he took our suffering upon himself. 
but it was not substitutionary in that his death paid for our sins. Because only a spotless sacrifice would do. Only a perfect lamb would have sufficed and satisfied the justice of God, the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us. And Colossians, Paul writes and says that Jesus died on the cross and he has wiped out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us. That law that was hanging around our necks condemning us, Jesus died in our stead and Jesus paid the price and he was the only one who could have and willfully for you and I because we were powerless to do anything on our own. He died for us. Jesus didn't just step into history to save you from the suffering of sin's wages. He was the only acceptable sacrifice. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God part prepared for us in advance to do. Isaiah 6, 64, 6 says this, All of us has become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags, and we are all shriveled up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. Jesus died for us because we were unable to pardon ourselves. We couldn't do anything good enough. We couldn't do anything holy enough, anything righteous enough to buy our pardon. I want to borrow a, a little and adapt a little illustration here. I believe that the individual that I first read this illustration from was J. Vernon McGee. So I want to adapt that to East Coast culture and share it with you here. And I'm not even going to talk like J. Vernon McGee this morning while I'm doing it. As you well know, there's a little island off the coast of North Carolina called Ocracoke. How many of you are familiar with that? Ocracoke is a part of Hyde County. Or as they say in Hyde County, Hyde County. There are some 25 to 30 miles of water between the island and the mainland. Now just suppose that in order to be good enough to get on the island, you had to take a running start on the mainland and jump off the pier and jump all the way to the island. Now how many of you would be able to do that? I know I couldn't. I have a two-inch vertical and about an 18-inch lateral leap. That's, I'm not a jumper. If we all went down, however, and lined up, and we all took our turn, some of you, I'm sure, would jump further than me. Maybe I would jump further than some of you. But none of us would jump far enough. And you see, that's the way it is as it pertains to heaven. If it was dependent on how high I could jump or how far I could jump, in other words, how perfect I could be in attaining God's righteousness, I'd fall short. You'd fall short. You may be a little holier than me, and I may be a little holier than some of you, but all of us would fall short. None of us would make it there. 
You may jump a little higher than me. You may walk a little straighter, but none of us could do it by ourselves. But thank God, I don't have to pay my own way. I don't have to produce my own salvation, my own good works, my own righteousness. Jesus paid it all. Jesus is my fairy. (laughs) He takes me over the troubled waters of life. He takes me over the deep places and arrives me safely at the shore as I need to be. What I couldn't do by myself, he does for me because he loves me. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. While we were yet sinners, unable to produce our own righteousness, unable to offer an acceptable atonement for our sins, Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life a ransom for many. Now I want to tell you why Jesus died. And I think sometimes this is troublesome for many of us. It sometimes becomes problematic because, as I said, we have different thoughts about Christ and Christianity after we become believers than we did before we were saved. And it's nothing new to us. It's as old as the gospel. Paul wrote to the Galatian church and he corrected them and said, Oh, foolish Galatians. How in the world did you think that what you began by faith in Christ Jesus that you were ever going to perfect in the flesh? And I want to share something with you today if I can just be transparent before you. I am washed in the blood of Jesus and I am saved. But I'm no ways as good as I want to be. I know what Paul meant when he said, in me that is in the flesh, there is no good thing. I'm not in and of myself what I need to be and I never will be. And maybe you're under the sound of my voice today either in this room or maybe you're watching online today and you're thinking, yep, that's my problem with Christianity. Is that I can never measure up I can never be good enough. I've tried. I've prayed the prayer. And I've gotten up from that place of prayer and I've fallen on my face more times than I care to count. It just doesn't work for me. It doesn't take. Somehow or another we feel like our lives are resistant to the redemptive power of God. Well, it may not all happen for you instantaneously. But can I tell you something? Jesus didn't die to make you good. I want to say that again so that now maybe the shock is worn off. Jesus didn't die to make you good. Now, we all have our concept of what it means to be a good Christian. We have certain convictions about how a Christian life is supposed to look. We all have certain criteria by which we deem ourselves and others to be good. And yes, I understand. I've read Ephesians 2, and I know that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works in which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
I know that the fruit of the Spirit is goodness and, and that the outflow of a life in Christ by the Spirit is goodness. And, but Jesus didn't die simply to make us good. See, goodness is, is our gauge for the quality of a person. It's what we like to say about folks when they've treated us well in the past. It's, it's what we like to say about folks who have passed away. Oh, bless their heart. They were such a good person. I know they went straight to heaven. Let me tell you something. Goodness will not get you into the gates of heaven. You can be a good person and just as lost as you can be. While goodness may get you a lot of praise here on earth, it doesn't guarantee you an entrance into heaven because while goodness may be the gauge that we use to determine the quality of a person, goodness is not God's gauge for determining one's preparedness for eternity. If you're hearing my words today, whether in this sanctuary or listening online, let me assure you of this one thing. As it relates to facing eternity, you can be the best person who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ and still not be good enough for eternity. Jesus died to make us righteous. You say, well, Pastor, that's the theological word. I'm not really sure I understand that. Let me just define for you here what it means to be righteous. Very simply, as Webster puts it, to be righteous is to be just according to the divine law. You know, all those do's and don'ts there are in the Old Testament, all of the thou shall and thou shalt not, you know, all those laws that we've broken. All of those laws that condemn us. Because Jesus said, if you've broken one, you're guilty of all of them. And I think in this room, we can all attest to have broken, break it, broken at least one. And if we've broken one, we've broken them all. And we're unclean and we're undone. We're also unsaved apart from the righteousness of God, apart from the soul-cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus died not to make you good because you'll never stand before the King of glory and be good enough. But because of what Jesus did, because of his great love for you, I can assure you this today, that if you stand before him with the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your heart and life, you can stand before him righteous. Not in your own works. Not in your own goodness. But because he says, I will remove your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. And maybe you go and maybe you leave this world and you think about all the things that you've done and you stand before God as a judge and you stand there in shame. And you wait to hear the sentence passed on your life. It's then at that moment if we will receive him by faith or if we have received him by faith, that Jesus Christ steps in as our advocate and says, I bore his sin. I bore her sin. He's forgiven. She's forgiven. 
They have been made righteous. Not because of their own good works, but because of what I did for them on Calvary. They are righteous. Let me tell you something. I said to you that righteousness is justice being just, being found just according to divine law. Now let me tell you the declaration of the law, and that's this. Romans 3.23 says this, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6 says that the wages of our sin is death, and that's an eternal separation from the presence of God. Your sins and my sin made us guilty before God. But through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we can now stand cleansed from our sins and justified through Christ Jesus. And you may be questioning today and say, Pastor, how do I receive God's righteousness in my life? I'm so glad you asked. John writes to the church in his epistle, the first, cha the first chapter, and says this, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And listen to this. To purify us from all unrighteousness. This is how it worked for Abraham. Paul writes to the Roman church and says this. Abraham, humanly speaking, was the founder of the Jewish nation. And what did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about, but that's not, that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but they're something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Church, I can't explain it this morning. I don't fully understand it because to me it seems like something as wonderful as forgiveness of sins and eternity spent with Jesus is something that I have to labor for. And I may do good things for the kingdom and I may work for Jesus and I may sacrifice and I may serve but make no mistake about it it will never be anything that I have done that gains me entrance into heaven. It's simply going to be because I believed God for my salvation and it was credited to me as righteousness. I didn't have any. I couldn't earn any. But God extended it to me. He's made me righteous. Because I believe and I confess that I'm a sinner. And apart from him, I'm lost and undone. Would you stand? Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, may we never lose the wondrous attraction of Calvary's heel. May we never lose the joy of your salvation.
May the praise and the thanksgiving and the adoration, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul ever be on my lips. God, I thank you that you loved me when I was unlovable. I thank you that you loved me when I was a sinner. And I believe you saw my life from the foundations of the world and you knew me. And you knew that I would need a redeemer. You knew that I would need a savior. And you sent your son to die. God, I thank you for that miracle. If you never heal my body again, I thank you for the miracle of salvation. If you never provide financially again, I thank you for the miracle of my salvation. If you never restore situations and circumstances in my life again, I thank you for saving me, Lord. I believe it's the greatest of all miracles. Lord, I ask you today that you would use the words that have been spoken to encourage the heart of every believer. I ask you, Lord, that you would use the words that have been spoken to convict the hearts of those that stand in need of redemption, who need salvation. And I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed very quickly before we move through this service. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I've never trusted in Jesus Christ for my salvation. I've never asked his pardon for my sinful life. And today, I want to be sure that I leave this place with the old account settled. If that's you, would you just slip a hand to heaven wherever you are? Thank you. Thank you. Are there others this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I thank you for your grace. I confess to you that I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. Lord, I ask you to wash me of my sins, to make me whiter than snow, and to make me righteous in the sight of Almighty God. Lord, that when I stand before the judge, I won't have to stand confident in my own good deeds, but in the finished work of Calvary. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for cleansing me. Thank you, Lord, for securing my eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.